I'm Kendra Winchester here with Autumn Privet, and this is the Reading Women podcast, where we're reclaiming half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. And this is episode 32, where we're talking about Little Deaths by Emma Flint and The Cutting Season by Attica Locke. So just pretend that you have a nice cup of hot chocolate or pumpkin spice latte, and there's leaves. Okay. Okay. That's what this is. It's Cozy Mystery Thriller Month. Yes. <laughs> and it's so you can make it as exciting and scary or as chill as you want it to be, which is nice. It is nice. We like October. I do love October. It is probably my favorite month. Don't tell the other months, but... Well... I'm pretty sure it's October. I guess I won't tell. So this month we are talking about mysteries and thrillers. Mysteries is one of my favorite genres in the world. And I also love a good thriller too. And I think we're just going to start this episode by talking a little bit about the difference between the two. Would that be helpful? I think so. As a mystery thriller novice. So it's really nuanced, but it seems like... The general consensus is like a mystery is a book where a crime or a mysterious death happens and they're solving it. Um, there's usually a set group of suspects where you're like introduced to the suspects right up at the beginning and then like you kind of figure out like who did it. So basically like Agatha Christie, the queen of mysteries, would be a good Oh yes. A good example. Yes. Of course, there's, like, different nuances in it. There can be, like, more, like, hard-boiled detective fiction, which is centers more around... I think of that something more like Robert Gilbraith. You know, there's it's kind of gritty. It's kind of, like, oh. more action to it. Kind of more, like, film noir kind of a feeling. Yeah. And, and Cozy Mysteries would be, like, Murder, She Purred. Right. Or even, like, the Flavia DeLuce books. Like, those are more, like, cozy kind of... Sure, crime happens, but it's not really high stakes, really. Yeah. So then thriller, on the other hand, is more of a genre where... Plot-driven, perhaps? Well, it's more like heroes versus villains kind of a concept, where you know how on Girl on the Train, sure, a girl dies, but we're more like trying to figure out, like, like the stakes are higher. Yeah, and the protagonist is like in peril because of people. Or like in Ruth Wears in a Dark, Dark Wood, you just have a group of girls out in the woods and stuff happens. Yes. Um, often there's like spies involved or maybe a war. But there also can be detectives in them too, which kind of makes it kind of murky. Um, but for me personally, I consider a thriller where like the stakes are really high. Because like in most mysteries, like the stakes aren't super high. Yeah figure out who did it not like well if you don't figure out who did it then all these horrible things are going to happen does that make sense yeah i think when i've read thrillers they seem to be more just generally page turnery exciting type books yes while mysteries can be page turnery it's more of a slow burn type of thing well and i think so like and that's why i think i like to contrast like the girl on the train versus like Agatha Christie, like in Agatha Christie, you can kind of like plot through it and kind of like walk through it. And it's like, okay, here's this. I wonder who did it, even though it might be suspenseful, but like the girl on the train, you're like, Oh my gosh, I have to keep reading because I have to know what happens because if I don't, I'm going to die. Like, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> they need to use that sound bite now. <laughs> Everywhere for everything. Anyway, that has been dictionary time with Autumn. So, okay, so before I move on, though, so, like, feel free to argue with me about this. Like, I'm not, like, married to either of these definitions, but that's just generally how I categorize them. I'm sure there's a lot of overlap, so. And obviously, genres are more like guidelines rather than actual rules, so... You know. So the two books we're going to discuss this month are The Cutting Season by Attica Locke and Little Deaths by Emma Flint. And these are two of the six books, if you listen to our last episode, that we talked about. We will note up front that this is not, I repeat, this is not a spoiler-free episode. If you have not read these books, then you might want to hold off on listening to parts of this podcast until you read it. Especially since these are, you know, mysteries. Mysteries. So. Yeah. It's pretty high. <laughs> so the first book we're going to talk about is The Cutting Season by Attica Locke. And I had never read anything by Attica Locke before. I've heard people talk about her, especially recently, because she just had a book come out called Bluebird, Bluebird. And it's already getting a lot of really, really good press. Also, it's not very often that you come across mysteries written by women of color. And so this is a special treat because it is unlike anything I've ever read. Also, this book is set in the South. So it's basically like my two favorite things in the world Yeah, in one book. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. I, I, I can't really think of anything else to add to it that you might make you love it more, except maybe a Russian character. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we are introduced to... Should I give a summary first? Would that probably be a good thing? I think so. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so it's plot, mystery, whatever. Short summary. The protagonist... Oh, there's a map in here. I didn't even realize that. Oh, yeah. The end papers are gorgeous. I'm so excited. Okay. Anyway... We are introduced early on to Karen Gray, and she is a general manager of a plantation called Belle V. And so, which is ironically named because Belle V is beautiful life. Wow, that is ironic. Good job on translation. Thank you. So we find out early on that, like, she has history with the plantation. I should also note that this book is set in, I think it's like around 2009 or 2010, so it is a recent novel or recent setting. We kind of find out that she has some history there, like that her mom worked there as a cook for a really long time, and some of her ancestors were slaves on the plantation pre-Civil War and actually post-Civil War, too, but they weren't slaves then. Shortly thereafter, there is a body found by the adjacent farm called Groveland Farm, which is actually a farm where they grow sugarcane, which is where the name of the book comes from, which is the cutting season. It refers to the cutting of the sugarcane. And so the plantation's in Louisiana, and so once they find the body, lots of things come up. Yeah, so it just kind of goes from there. What were your initial impressions of this book, Kendra? Um, I didn't really know what this book was about. I kind of just like, oh, this is what we're reading. So I picked it up and, and I started listening to it. And um, the narrator is fantastic, by the way, in case you want to listen to it, everyone. I just thought it was beautiful. Like, it's really engrossing because you just start off on her day and she's like walking around and doing um, different things. And first off, it just, I don't know, it just sucked me in right away, but in a nice, slow burn kind of way and I didn't really feel like it was a mystery at first because it was just 
like it wasn't all about the plot and so I really enjoyed just all the nuances and then she finds the woman you know I mean the first few paragraphs are her finding the woman but like she gets a flashback and whatever. Anyway, so then it kind of starts at the end of the first chapter. We come back to when she finds the woman, and then the book really, like, gets going. And I just really love that first chapter. I think it's just beautiful. And I didn't realize it was set in the South either. So that's really cool as well. It's a really great setting. I think, too, especially since it's set in recent history, and the fact that it's set on a plantation is really important because actually... Racism is something that comes up a lot in this book. Predominantly, when they first find the body, there is a young black man who works there on the plantation, and he is almost immediately arrested. Well, he's not arrested at first, I guess I should say, but he's almost immediately suspected just because they think he's shady, quite honestly, and which is not a good reason. So it does touch on themes of like race, racism and police profiling and those kinds of things, too. And they're also kind of it's interesting, too, because it's like so it's set on a plantation and Karen's mother, Helen, worked there for a long time. And, and Karen grew up there. Attica does a really great job of showing how these social structures that were established when the plantation was a working plantation still exist in like post Barack Obama, Louisiana. Yeah, I think there's a certain level of layers, obviously, because Karen is managing a plantation, which is basically a museum, historical site of when slaves were there. And I thought it was interesting how there's a mm-hmm. reenactment every day of this play that this, you know, white woman wrote um, about um, slaves and their lives on the plantation. And so she, you know, Karen sees like this reenactment like almost every day and she sees what it would have been like. She's around the slave cabins all the time. And in fact, one of um, her uh, direct ancestors was on, um, was a famous character from like just after, just after the Civil War when he, you know, he was set free and then he stayed on the plantation, continued to work it. And it's kind of like, she's always asking herself, why did he stay? And that's also a big part of the book. Yeah. And also, Karen has to navigate this really interesting territory because she has a daughter, Morgan, who is in fifth grade or sixth grade. And so she's kind of having to explain this to her daughter, too. You know, her daughter, who she obviously wants to have, you know, all the rights and privileges that she deserves, but also reconciling that with living and growing up on this plantation and what that means. What else do you think is important for us to talk about? Um, I think pointing out her relationship with the plantation versus Eric's relationship with the plantation as a Yankee, like she definitely has a certain level of understanding that he doesn't have. Yeah, I think that's true. So Eric is Karen's ex-boyfriend, ex-boyfriend. Yes. And Morgan's dad. And so Karen grew up on the plantation. Then she like moved further north to go to college where she met Eric and Eric is from he's from Chicago. So when he comes to visit her on the plantation, he definitely doesn't see it the way that she sees it. He sees it more. She actually kind of views it romantically. Yeah, as she does. She kind of has also bought into the romantic image of the slave community on the plantation that's portrayed in the museum. Well, when he comes on, he sees it with fresh eyes and is super appalled. And he's like, why can't you leave this place? And her mom, um, they had a big fight. And then 
she, you know, she left the plantation and different things. And she says, you'll never be able to escape this place. It's mm. part of you. Which is interesting because, so the book, the epigraph in the book is actually by Rebecca Solnit, who we talked about in our last, last month. And the quote is, we navigate by stories, but sometimes we only escape by abandoning them, which I think is a really great way to sum up the book in the sense that Karen has this narrative kind of imposed upon her because of her family's relationship to this piece of property. And ultimately, because of the murder that happens on the property, she has to decide whether, like, what she's going to do, whether she's going to continue in that narrative or make her own narrative. Yeah. And I think you can see that in, um, some parallels because part of the, the people who own the plantation, Ray and Bobby are brothers. Um, so what's interesting is that the farm next to the plantation is, you know, a sugarcane field and there are migrant workers. And so one of the things I thought was very interesting is that Karen, uh, kind of like she takes us around the plantation and she tours the slave cabins, but then she also goes to where the migrant woman who was killed lived. And it's this tiny little camper. And there are a lot of parallels between the migrant workers and how they live and how the slaves used to live on the plantation and working the sugarcane fields. Um, and so that parallel is kind of drawn through the entire book. And what we learn, because remember, this is a spoiler episode, we learned that her and Karen's ancestor was murdered and he worked the fields. And so is this migrant woman who worked the fields. And so there's just like a two running parallel between her ancestor's story and then the, you know, the current story, murder. Well, and it's interesting, too, because her ancestor, Jacob, he... There's this this law post civil war where if you lay claim to the property you own it. Um, I don't remember the nuances of it, and I've probably butchered it, and I apologize to everyone in the world about it. But um, he would have owned the property had he lived like just another week or two. And so because he was murdered, then the Clancy family who owns it now, their ancestor was able to lay claim to it. And we come to find out, and again, this is a spoiler, that Bobby, one of the brothers, is the person who kills the migrant girl. So it's kind of like this double, to again talk about the parallel, it's like her ancestor who worked that land was killed by a white person who wanted to own the land. And the same thing happens like hundreds of years or a hundred years later or something. So it's beautifully done and you don't even notice that's what she's doing until you think about it after the fact. Yeah, it's, it is, it is incredibly well done. And I thought it was very interesting how, um, when the older brother Ray wants to sell the plantation, um, like obviously Karen's like, why are you selling this? This is part of my history too. But at the same time, when Karen, we find out one is um, a former law student, that's how she met Eric. And so she dropped out, um, when she ran out of money um, because she found out that her mom had had um, Ray and Bobby's father was paying for her education. She's like, I'm not taking anything from them. But at the same time, she can't leave the plantation and she's always drawn back to it, which I find is interesting. And her mom um, does some foreshadowing of what happened to Jacob by saying, you're just getting what's owed you because her mom knew what the Clancy's ancestors had done to her ancestor, which is just really well done you knew something was coming at that moment. It was just, yeah, it, there's just so much depth to this mystery. And when I think of mystery, 
I think of something that's fun. Like, I probably think more of a cozy mystery. But this one just has so much more depth than I originally thought that the genre had in general. So I'm glad that my perspective is widening of what the possibilities are. Because there's just so many layers to this book. You could just think about it forever. Oh, yeah. And I will say it has depth, but it's not heavy. So if you're concerned about it being, like, heavy or um, something like that, it's not it's just really actually very fascinating. So that's unfortunately all the time we really have to talk about the cutting season this episode. Um, if you're looking to branch out from like your typical kind of mystery book, I highly recommend it. I personally am going to go get some of her other books as soon as possible and read them because they're just that good. So again, that's The Cutting Season by Attica Locke and it is out by Harper. And that brings us to our next sponsor spot, which is us. We're going to talk about our Patreon we wanted to tell you a little bit more about the behind-the-scenes stuff going on that we have for our patrons. So we mentioned last time that you get a heads up way in advance of sometimes certain interviews, but um, all of our themes that we have upcoming are up, and you get to learn those way in advance. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's also a great way to kind of get your feedback about what you think about the podcast or for you to tell us about what you're reading and kind of just provide some input. Um, We've had some great discussions with our patrons in the last couple weeks, and we've loved, loved, loved getting to know you, our listeners, better. We also, I think generally what I enjoy about the bookish people I follow, I like knowing what projects they're currently working on and kind of like what they're doing for future things. So for example, like today we talked about like we were going to record today and that we were preparing for that and that we were preparing for the Reading Women Awards and that we were doing different things. Um, And that was really cool to talk about. We also have several different patron levels that you can choose from. So some of the higher level ones we will do personalized phone calls with you every month and we'll we have a specialized newsletter and just all kinds of really cool things that we've tried to come up with to better interact with you our listeners and of course everything goes to help keep this podcast running so that way we can keep providing great book recommendations by or about women yeah so if you would like to check that out you can find uh, that link in our show notes and go check out our patreon page Uh, So I guess my pick is next, and that is Little Deaths by Emma Flint, and that's out from Hachette. And this book is just, oh my goodness, it is like a snapshot of 1965 queens. And it really focuses on, I guess if you want to do a theme of the book, that it's like sexism comes in many forms. (laughs) Can I have a confession? Yeah? I almost... (laughs) didn't want to read this book (sighs) Uh, just because the sexism is so bad like it is especially in like the first two chapters it is horrible yeah it is and and i mean i mean that's like that is her her goal She, she might do it too well but she makes you feel super incredibly uncomfortable and appalled at what is going on um with ruth and so I guess the little summary here, Ruth's children go missing, um, and so she calls her estranged husband, who she's just separated from, and they're going through a divorce and, like, a custody battle, um, and she calls them over, and they start looking for the kids, and they can't find them, and so they call the police, and the police immediately begin to suspect Ruth. Ruth is a single mom who's a cocktail waitress, and she puts on a lot of makeup, and she has known to have a lot of boyfriends, and she does have an active sex life, and because she does that and is a mom people women and men think that she is must be irresponsible 
every little thing they judge her on and they have all these opinions and a lot of the men feel entitled to her body because they have heard rumors that she sleeps around so of course then they of course must also have a chance at her which is really disgusting it is disgusting well the interesting thing about this book is that as the story progresses you know at first you see ruth from well her own perspective like how she views herself because of the way the men in her life treat her and you also get a heavy dose of what the men in her life think about her but then like as the story progresses we get perspectives into like what she's actually thinking and feeling would and you she does a great job she being emma does a great job of showing how the men are interpreting her actions like a hundred percent differently than how she's actually intending them which just makes it's just gripping like really gripping so as the book went on did you in like as stuff clicked did it was it better and easier maybe easier is not the right word but as you i don't know how did your view change i guess as you got past the first two chapters well at first i was i had the thought which i think you said you've seen some reviews where people are like this book is sexist but as you read you realize that the men in the book are sexist for example like one of the things that Devlin, who I think we're going to talk about in a minute, talks about is how the day after they found her daughter's body, she went and bought a dress. Well, and they say that that's a mark against her because what what, what mother who is actually grieving after her child would go shopping at, when she found out that her daughter was dead? Well, in reality, we find out that she looked in her closet and saw that she had no black clothing and she didn't want to go to her daughter's funeral in clothing that wasn't black because she wanted to respect her daughter. And so she goes and buys a black dress to wear to the funeral. Yeah. And I think that Emma Flint does an amazing job of not just showing how sexism and the patriarchy manifests in men, but also how it manifests in women, and not just the women outside of Ruth who are judging her for her style, but also in Ruth herself. Um, one of the things mm. that I um, really thought was well done in this book was how Ruth views herself and how she views her, she's sexist against herself and how she thinks that she should behave. And she always feels like this sense of kind of, of guilt of how she lives her life, but this is how she wants to do things. But she feels like, well, she's a woman and she's always doubting her ability as a mom. And at the time during the custody battle that she's having, men still were given um, more preference over women in, in custody battles because they were thought to be, I guess, more responsible in general or something. Um, I don't know. So yeah, I, I really thought that was interesting how she did that. And one of the things that really made me feel gross was how Ruth often thinks about her own body. Mm. Like, all the descriptions of sweat, melting makeup, stickiness, the way her clothes fit her, the way she feels after she ate something. Um, it was almost like she was a piece of meat to be, like, owned, and she, like, viewed herself like that. Which is sad. Like, it's just, ugh, so sad. So, the detective that I mentioned, Devlin, who's the lead detective... He kind of has a chip on his shoulder for reasons that I won't get into right now, but he immediately assumes that Ruth is the one who killed her kids because she doesn't behave as he believes a woman and a mother should, mostly because she didn't cry. 
and mostly because like she didn't fall apart. So because like she kept her cool and because she acted rationally, she was actually punished for it. Yeah, and it was just the idea that women are supposed to be quote-unquote emotionally inferior, um, which actually is not true. You know, women are allowed to, I guess, express their feelings more. But, you know, she does it, and we and we then we see that, and then we switch back to Ruth's perspective. And she kind of, like, we hear in her dialogue about why she didn't cry and when she actually does cry. And, and she's not going to cry in front of them. Like, you know, and anyway, I thought that I just cannot stand Evelyn. And you suspect his hostility and his bias, but then as the novel progresses, you see this out-and-out hatred of Ruth and that she has stepped out. And all of the men in the book talk about her body in very foul and derogatory ways, like they can own it, or that they have a right to comment on um, very personal parts of her body. And I, I just wanted to jump into the book and, like, smack them with a baseball bat. I know, seriously. <laughs> the interesting thing, too, is, like, I never believed that Ruth did it. And, again, this is a spoiler. We find out that her husband is the one who killed his two kids. But because Devlin just decides that she killed her kids, he doesn't even look into alternatives. He doesn't even investigate any other suspects. He literally has a vendetta out, and he talks about it like, I'm going to get her um, in very derogatory sort of ways, which I'm not going to repeat here. So it's just he blinds himself with his hatred for her. And he hates her because of that she's not demure and motherly and matronly. You know, the angel in the attic, as Virginia Woolf says. So, but that also is contrasted with Pete, who is also sexist, but at first you don't think so. You think he's kind of going to be this, like, dude savior figure who helps Ruth, which isn't great, but not as bad as, as what he turns out to be, because he kind of, he starts obsessing with Ruth. And on his side, since he's a reporter and he's covering the crime of the children missing, we begin to see how the media portrays Ruth um, and how they kind of write her narrative and basically, like, call her out as guilty even before she's been arrested. And that's really horrible in one sense. But Pete doesn't agree with that. But at the same time, he thinks Ruth needs a man in her life to take care of her and that he should be that man. And he wants to obtain her, maybe not as openly hostile as Devlin and other men who treat her as a sex object, but he still wants that from her. He definitely wants to sleep with her, um, but he does it, and I guess in a more socially acceptable way. I did appreciate that foil, uh, the two men that are like pursuing her. Um, her husband's just another another kettle of fish we won't talk about because I, I just don't have enough baseball bats to go around. This is true. This is very true. And Pete ends up being really creepy in the end. Um, it's almost like he fetishizes her, which is just yeah. gross. It is. And what's interesting is that Devlin looks down on Pete because he has sympathy for Ruth. And it's sort of like top dog kind of idea it's like you're not treating a woman as badly as you should be yeah <laughs> and it's still not great and it's funny that in mad men there's also a creep named pete yeah oh i didn't even pete. think about that yeah yeah it's like inception um i think the saddest part about this book is the ending which is that ruth finally pieces together that it's her ex-husband who kills the kids he was just trying to be a jerk to her. And so he like takes the, he does take the kids from the apartment and he accidentally 
kind of accidentally strangles the one daughter. But so he comes to visit her in prison and tells her the story. And the saddest part is, is like she gets out on parole, but he's like, I'm telling you all of this because I know you're not going to tell anyone because they're not going to believe you. And you're going to have to like carry this. You like, he basically says, I'm telling you this. So that way you won't be able to move on with your life because I'm mad that you divorced me. Yeah. Which is just like, but they don't even suspect him because he's the man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But I think that's true telling to the time uh, that was there. I mean, yeah, we've made a lot of progress, but the women in that particular generation haven't really been able to live that progress um, for their lives and careers. They really just did something for women as a whole and for future generations. But the women of that time were like Ruth, like they really didn't have a stand up chance. So, which is really sad. And I think oftentimes we underestimate sexism as just like, creepy older men saying awkward things to you or different things like that but really sexism and the page systematic patriarchy is seriously dangerous and i think this book really reminds us that i mean everyone has really volatile reactions to the book because of how much sexism is in it and i think it's also just to wrap this all up like this as we mentioned in the last episode this is based off this book is based off of a true story and and Emma Flint gives sources in the back of two books to read if you want to read more about the crime itself. So, yeah. All right, so that is uh, our discussion of Little Deaths by Emma Flint, and that's out from Hachette. If you would like to join the conversation, you can find us all over social media, and we're happy to discuss that, or you could go to our Goodreads group, and we could chat about it there, because there's a lot to discuss in these books. But now we have news, though, which I'm really excited about. I can't believe it's already this time already. <laughs> I know. It just seems like last year that we were geeking out over Rebecca Traster. I know, because it was. <laughs> Thank you, Autumn. <laughs> so You're welcome. We have the Reading Women Awards coming out uh, next episodes. Uh, we. Oh my goodness. I I know. This is the only the second time that we've done these. And last year we didn't do a shortlist, but this year we're doing a shortlist for fiction and a shortlist for nonfiction. So we're gonna switch up the format just as a heads up. So the next two episodes will be like our first episode format. We'll talk about six books, the six shortlist nominations for each category, each episode. You get what I'm saying? And then our we'll have one episode in December and that will be the award show. It's gonna be amazing. I'm really excited. Now, right now, right now, when we're recording this, we're reading like Mad Women, trying to <laughs> uh, prepare for all of this. But it is really exciting um, because it's probably my favorite time of the year, and um, we get to talk about some of our favorite books of the year. It's going to be great. Really excited! I have been saving my Reading Win Award seals since last year um, on my dresser, waiting to slap them on the winners this year. I'm so excited. <laughs> I just dusted them off the other day, and I was like, it's almost time. <laughs> Better than Christmas. Just about, just about. So, believe it or not, that is our show, and I can't even believe it. It's super crazy. Um, but if you listen to our podcast, if you could please take a moment to go and rate our podcast, it really does help us. It makes the algorithm gods smile upon us and helps 
other people find our podcast. And you can find me, Autumn Privet, on Twitter and Instagram and other places at Autumn Privet. And you can find Kendra at KD Winchester at all the places. Um, yeah. So thank you all so much for listening to the Reading Women podcast. And we will talk to you soon when we will be talking about the Reading Women Awards. Woo! Woo! Bye. Bye, guys. Thank <laughs> you.